Thank you for listening to this Miller Time Media Podcast. This interview took place during our Miller Time Live radio program. For information on the program, you can visit our page on Facebook, facebook.com slash Radio. You can also find us on any of your favorite podcasting platforms by searching Miller Time Media. If you do not find us on your favorite podcast platform, not to fear, just send us an email and we'll get it done for you, Radio at outlook.com. Thank you and enjoy. We are on the air at five minutes after 11 a.m. on a Friday morning. It's the Wolfman. Oh, I know that was bad today. How you doing? It is the Wolfman. Hey, hey, hey. Happy Friday to you. It is Friday. It's our favorite day of the week. And, of course, it starts off with the Wolfman at the movies. How you doing, Wolfman? Good morning, Dustin. I'm I'm jumpy this morning. You're jumpy. What does jumpy mean? Well, I've been drinking coffee, but I haven't had anything to eat. Oh, and I'm about to pour more coffee for you. Pour it, pour it. (laughs) (laughs) What what does DJ Thailand have to say about that, I wonder? Maybe we should call him. Is he at work? Yeah, he's out. He's out on the field, I believe, yes. Oh, in the, in the field. What field is he outstanding he's, in? He's a rugby player. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> he's not a rugby player. Yes. <laughs> in fact, that would be a very funny sight. Um, uh, he's, way, he's way unfit. Is it? Yeah. Oh. I, I, they, I've said it on air. And now, I, I thought about putting together a baseball team or a baseball, just a baseball game, yeah, just mm. an unofficial thing, you know, for maybe a bunch of friends. And I thought maybe I'll ask you and, 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 and him to, to join. Yeah, well, you know, I used to play baseball at school. Yeah. I've, I've kind of forgotten all the rules, except that obviously you've got to whack that ball and then run the run around the bases and try to get a home run mm-hmm. before they catch the ball kind of thing and obviously if they catch it in the air then you're out yes. so um i i remember the, those kind of basic things and that's probably as uh, as complex as our game got when mm. i was at school so but it's not uh, a very complicated yeah. game as and especially when you relate it to say cricket or rugby oh, well rug, rugby's cricket. easy cricket is oh, so complicated cricket is complicated and i still boring and i've tried long. And so I'm many sorry, times with all due respect to yeah. our cricket loving friends I, I i just don't get it yeah know? it's so it, it just goes on forever at least you know and, the, and, and people i've had people in south africa actually say to me but baseball goes on forever i said well, maybe if you're talking, you know, what is it? There's test cricket and T20 cricket, and one of them is shorter than the other. And I'm thinking, you know what? Uh, baseball is nine innings, and I understand that there is a time limit. You go through nine innings. After nine innings, unless you have a tie, that's it. If you have a tie, it will go on forever because, it, you know, of course, baseball never ends in a tie, which I cannot stand sport. Who, uh, any sport that they will allow to end in a tie to me makes no sense. Uh, there must be a clear winner at the end. You, yeah, you know, yeah. which is why I like baseball. So anyway, uh, but it is Friday, and you're here to talk entertainment, and movies, and cinema, and and streaming, and whatever else you come up with. We we've it, this originally was about uh, cinema and theater, and it's it's gone into streaming now and everything else. This show. Well, unfortunately, there just isn't any theater at the moment, is yeah. there? There's no. just no. And. I worry about the whether there ever will be again in Johannesburg. It's mm. a, 
It's a very, it makes you wonder very, how people like Claire Packer is it, are doing. I don't even know if she's still involved with, uh, was it Joburg Theatre or yeah, not? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think Joburg Theatre was struggling before the circus came along, mm-hmm. before the virus circus came along. So who knows? Who knows? So what's, uh, what's on your plate today? All righty. Um, today we have, we have some streaming. We have some... Uh, so we have a movie that's open on circuit, but uh, the theme, as I punted it on our Facebook page, was this: that uh, there is an there is a TV topic and uh, a children's story, which just will not go away. Mm-hmm. They just keep on coming back, and there's like an endless fascination with them. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, uh, th- these uh, th- there's a reason, I guess, why these topics just keep on returning. Uh, the children's story we'll get to later, and I'm not even too sure that that it's a children's story. For me, it's it's actually a grown-up story, and I don't think children will get the will, will really get the full benefit of that particular story. But before we get onto that, we're going to talk about the TV story that just keeps on coming back to haunt us and that is joe exotic the tiger king okay uh with the, you you will remember there was a there was a documentary series on netflix about uh, joe exotic called the tiger king and that generated so much interest around around the united states and indeed around the world that they've just been all these spin-offs that have that have arisen from that, um, and one of the w- one of the things uh, that got a whole lot of publicity um, out of Joe Exotic was, of course, this woman from the that other wild cat park, uh, Carol Baskin is her name, and uh, she she's also gained a. a I was going to say a modicum of fame, I should say maybe notoriety as well. And um, she, b- because of this, because of her being in the spotlight, she's now in the new season of um, Dancing with the Stars. And I think I may have mentioned this in an, in an earlier show of ours, but um, <laughs> in that first episode of hers of Dancing with the Stars, the family of her ex-husband placed an ad. Now, um, if you don't remember the story of, of, of Carol Baskin and the Tiger King and all that kind of stuff, Carol Baskin's first husband very mysteriously disappeared. And Joe Exotic alleged, and, and most of us believe quite rightly too, alleged that she killed her first husband and fed him to the cats. Um, she whether she fed him to the cats, we can't be sure of. But it it just does seem, you know, all suspicion points to her that, uh, you know, because her first husband just disappeared out of the blue. And, it, and all the fingers of guilt do point to Carol Baskin. So now in, in the first episode of Dancing with the Stars in which Carol Baskin appears, the family of her of her first husband, and I'm going to say her late first husband, the family placed an ad saying, "If you know, if you can, if you can point to uh, to um, any more details regarding the disappearance of our 
brother, father, whatever, um, please contact us at this number, which I thought was just beautiful because here she is making her TV debut on Dancing with the Stars and, and, and the family of her mysteriously disappeared husband have placed this ad, which I just think, I just think that was perfect timing and really well done. But uh, the, the show that I wanted to talk about, though, is, um, and you know what, there have been a bunch of spin-off uh, documentaries and things to come from the Tiger King, and this is just one of them, and I'm sure that in future weeks I'll be dealing with other, with other ones. But this one is called The Truth Behind Joe Exotic, the, Ri- the Rick Kirkham story. Now, Dustin, you grew up in the States. Yes. Do you remember Rick Kirkham? No. No. Okay. Well, well here's but the I thing. But I just want to inject here. Yeah. I was away making the coffee when you were talking about this, and I cannot believe that this is taking on another life. I, I, how in the heck, of all the people on the planet, is she on Dancing with the Stars? I mean, Carol, ba- I, look, Joe Exotic is, is a dirtbag. We understand he's a dirtbag, yeah. but she's yeah. more of a dirtbag. She is yeah. a rotten horrible yeah, yeah. individual and i hope yeah. she hears this and i hope she writes back because i really despise this woman this woman is awful she yeah she is she's she's just scary you mm. know um and we've i think we've covered this before as well but yes, we she reminds us of a certain political figure in the united hopefully States someone well. sends her this podcast i'm sure she's not listening live because it's i don't know what time in the morning it is but i'm sure she'll hear it at some point so <laughs> you are a horrible individual carol baskin just fyi all righty okay. okay now that we've Tad continues with that yes so uh this particular documentary that i want to talk about today is called the truth behind joe exotic the rick kirkham story now we need to remember that yes. before the days of, of the internet, uh, fame would be quite localized, right? And that's so now, even mm. though you grew up in, in the US, yes. you wouldn't have known who Rick Kirkham was. But in his particular city state zone, and I'm not sure actually where that was, mm-hmm. but he was very famous. He was this big TV personality, and um, he had started off doing hard news. Mm. And then because they realized he was quite a character, they moved him into doing sort of daredevilish things. So he would do, you know, skydiving and, you know, kind of dangerous, dangerous. Are we talking about Melanie Walker? Stuff. Oh, no, someone else. No, well, he was, he, he's, he's the kind of male equivalent of Melanie What's his Walker. name? Uh, Rick Kirkham. Rick Kirkham. Yeah, okay. Rick Kirkham. Yeah. So he's the male equivalent, and uh, although his legs, I'm sure, are not half as good as, good as young Melanie's legs. Um, <laughs> so, hi, hi, Melanie. So, How you doing? Hi, Melly. <laughs> Let's see if we receive an abusive... <laughs> but I said his legs are no doubt better than Melanie's, so come on, I didn't say anything nasty. You have a way of throwing me off. Do you see, when I get into the rhythm, I can't be no, thrown no, around. No, no, I, you know, my, my whole point in this show is to keep you on track. Yeah, well, I, no. I, I noticed how you quickly don't. you got off track while I was away making yeah, the coffee. Yeah, so. but you, you, also uh, do the, you also do the whole going off track thing, don't lie. No, but, right. uh, but I'm like a fine musician. I where were we? Carol Baskin is a piece of rhythm. crap. Okay, yes. that's where we were. All righty. Yes. Rick Kirkham. <laughs> So he had considerable fame in his city stroke state uh, when, when he was a youngster in his 20s and 30s. Mm-hmm. And in this documentary, he speaks of his kind of three spikes of fame. Okay, so that was his, sp- his first spike of fame was as this TV personality, okay? Mm-hmm. And um, 
then he 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 lost that fame and it was completely his fault because he got seriously into drugs and nasty drugs you know we're talking about cocaine crack cocaine and all that kind of stuff yes and interestingly he uh, from from probably i think it was like his early 20s he had started doing a video diary of his life so he'd just sit down in front of a in front of a video camera mm-hmm. and say well look this is what hap- what's happened to me today all right and even when he started hitting the drugs he would actually record that as well he would record himself taking these things and even saying to the camera i'm a mess you know look mm. at me i'm a mess and i'm going down this road and i can't stop it and i just can't stop doing this stuff so rick's uh, drug addiction ended his tv career okay so that was that was his first spike of fame and being mm. being in the public limelight um, and then some years later a documentary was made um, about about his life and career thus far and it was called TV Junkie and he didn't think very much of it but it became a hit at the Sundance Film Festival mm-hmm. and that kind of re-spiked his fame now TV Junkie uh, uses a whole bunch of his his home uh, video diaries, right, mm-hmm. to tell the story of how he had risen to fame and how he had fallen uh, fallen from fame because of his drug addiction. Mm-hmm. So now you have Rick Kirkham's second spike of being in the public eye, which was a, a result of TV Junkie. And incidentally, if you look hard enough on the internet, you'll probably be able to find... Uh, a copy, maybe not a great one, but you'd probably be able to find TV Junkie, and it's w- quite worth seeing. I thought TV Junkie. TV what year junkie. is it from? I think it was. Was it? Uh, was it? Um, no, couldn't have been as as. Was it nineteen sinus? Nineteen seventy sounds too early. All right, I'll look it um, up. No yeah, just look it up quickly. Yeah, was uh, it? Um, it's a documentary that chronicles Rick Kirkham's drug addiction. Mm. It looks like the year was two thousand eight in that's Sweden. W- yeah, there you go. Yeah, okay. two thousand eight. Uh, two thousand six. Six. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so that was TV Junkie, which then gave him a second spike of fame. Mm-hmm. Then along comes the Netflix documentary on Joe Exotic, and he <laughs> was obviously one of the players in that whole drama because mm-hmm. he had wanted to do... Um, he had met Joe Exotic. He was going to do... Um, Joe had initially hired or wanted to hire him to run the, the TV studio from which Joe would do his blogs and stuff, right? Oh, okay. And then he had signed a deal with Joe Exotic to say, yes, I will do that for you, provided you give me the rights to do a reality show on you and your park. Sure. And that had been the start of their relationship. And Rick Kirkham actually moved into, uh, the, into the zoo so he could be close <laughs> to all the action. And all, it's all happening at the zoo. Down. Yeah. And, um, and, and now with this Netflix documentary that, that has just caught fire that everyone around the world has watched pretty much or not everyone but a damn big percentage of of the world's population has followed it eagerly now it's brought him back into the spotlight and he, mm-hmm. he's he's now living in norway a, a very peaceful sedentary lifestyle um and this documentary tells how he how he met his norwegian wife online and how he'd hoped to just disappear quietly into the new in and it's this lovely little Norwegian town, little hamlet type thing, very small and quiet and peaceful. And he thought, well, great, now he can 
live the sort of, I guess, the last section of his life in peace with his Norwegian wife and away from all the noise of publicity and stuff. And bam, along comes along comes Joe Exotic and mm-hmm. Tiger King. Mm-hmm. So he, he tells of he tells of his um his own life and and the and the spikes of fame and he also tells of uh working with Joe Exotic and um reveals that ultimately this fellow was quite an unsavory person, was not a nice guy. You know, when I first started watching the documentary on Netflix, I thought Oh well, this guy's actually quite a character. This Joe Exotic, you know, he's he lives by his own rules. Um, he he's kind of fearless, and he advertises himself openly as this gay man with a mullet who lives with tigers and 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 I can't remember. Oh, and and packs a gun and all this kind of stuff. So I just thought, wow, this guy is quite a character, and he's all out there, and um, he's interesting, and all those things were and were were, were true. But there's also a, a much darker side to him, which, which, which came out in the Netflix series and which Rick Kirkham deals with here as well. And I don't think he really loved those tigers. He, mm. he did some terrible things. I mean, he euthanized, in inverted commas, some tigers that were not at all ill, you know, amongst other things. And he used those tigers to push his own ego and his own income. But an interesting documentary, The Truth Behind Joe Exotic, the Rick Kirkham story, well worth seeing, and it's available on the Amazon streaming network. But let us move on to the other thing that I said uh, just won't go away, and that is the so-called children's story called The Secret Garden. Based upon... Oh, The Secret Garden. I remember that book when I was a child. Do you remember the book? Yeah, yeah. It's a very well-known book, you know, by Francis Hodgson Burnett, and the book's been around forever, for a good, what a good seventy years or so, something like that, I guess. Yeah. Well, well, certainly, it must have been more than that, actually. Mm. The um, I, I wanted to talk about three film versions of the book, because five uh, film versions have been made of this book. Mm. Uh, I've one of them seen is a, one of them at least. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you pretty you, you, you would have. Um, of the five, one of them is a TV movie, which uh, which I haven't seen, and one of them is a so-called steampunk version of the movie. So, and that was uh, that was released about a year ago, I think. And I kind of thought, no thanks, I don't want to see a steampunk version of the Secret Garden. <laughs> so, but what I have what done is, is what is steampunk? What does that even mean? Well, you know, steampunk is that whole kind of a genre. Um, l- let me try and describe it to you. You know, you see people wearing goggles and kind of those leather helmets. You know that with with these big brass, round brass goggles and and mm-hmm. um, uh, steam machines with with curled pipes. Do you, do you know that that whole aesthetic? Yeah. yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's steampunk. I, I'm not even too sure that I entirely understand it. I know that I've kind of I've heard that look. term so many times. And I thought, mm. What does that actually mean? Yeah, so. yeah. What does it actually mean? Yeah. It, you know, it's it's a kind of, it's it's like this weird blend of technology, but old tech. You know what I mean? So uh-huh. it looks kind of futuristic, and yet it's driven by steam and stuff. So oh, I, yeah. And I, people I, with those handlebar mustache. And, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I guess it's it's the vision of the future 
that existed in the past. You know, like Jules mm. Verne's days. No, no, I think that's the best way that I can describe All it. Right. I, I'm not an expert on steampunk, but I just thought, no, I, I, you know, the steampunk take on The Secret Garden, I, I don't think the author would have approved. So, no. anyway, so what I've done is I've looked at the, the first movie, mm-hmm. uh, the first Secret Garden movie, and the last one, which opens on circuit today, which occasions this. And I, and I thought also, let me look at the 1993 version as well, mm-hmm. which kind of sits in the middle of all of these things. So here we have a, a span of 71 years of, mm-hmm. of, of film versions of this book. And I watched them all this week. And you might think, oh my God, you know, to see, sit down and watch the same story three times within the same week. It is a lot. But they are very, very different movies. So it didn't feel, it didn't feel like, oh, I'm dragging myself through this again. Okay. I remember the book, going back to the book, I remember, yeah. you know, when you read a book, you, you, it's, it's sort of like radio is the theater of your mind. So when you read a book, you have to sort of paint these pictures because there are no pictures in a book. Um, in a novel type book, so then you're you're reading this and you're imagining, and I imagine this huge house with all these rooms and mm-hmm. half of which are probably empty, and this this garden which is obviously locked away, and it was just really, it was really interesting to me how my five, six, seven year old self, you know, first learning about this could, could conjure up such a a, a picture of it, and then when I saw the movie at some point, one of, I don't even remember which one it was, I'll probably yeah. discover it now. Um, how accurate my mind actually was as to what it actually would look like, that's at least in the yeah. eyes of the person who created it. Well, well that's really amazing that you... Uh, did you read it yourself when you were six or seven? Yeah, I started, yeah. I started to read that book yeah. very young. It was, wow. it, was a, it was a book that we, uh, you know, we, we started to read in class. Yeah, and then so you just and then you just. I think I was seven years old or something yeah, like that, yeah. and and I really it yeah. was one of those books like Charlotte's Web, you know, that you just yeah. read over and well, over. Well, you know, when but I was Secret saying Garden earlier, was very interesting. Yeah, when I was saying earlier that it's not a children's story, I I, I think there is a lot there to stimulate and excite the the the, the, the you know a child's mind. You know? I, yeah. I I think I think they won't get the. The central metaphor of this, of this uh, story, and let me tell you a little bit about the story for, for those people who haven't read the book or, or seen the movie, okay? Yes. So um, it's essentially this. The, the story begins with this little girl who's growing up in India. This is during colonial times. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, the story begins in, in 1947, and the first movie uh, came out in '49. okay? So I guess the the book was pretty fresh at, at that stage. Yes. Right. So, what year again? St- st- the story begins in 1947. No, no. What year did this movie? The the, the, the first movie that I looked at was 1949. I, I looked at the 1949 film, the 1993 film, mm-hmm. and the 2020 version, which opened this morning on. So I'm thinking the South one Africa. I probably saw was the 1993 one. Although we may have been shown the 1949 film at some point in class. In class, I don't yeah. know because yeah. they have a they had a tendency to wheel these these carts with these giant televisions and a VCR under them. Yeah. Back when in the late eighties, early nineties, yeah. when I was in school, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so the, the story begins in in forty seven, where uh, at the time of the um, at the time when India was being split into India and Pakistan, and there was great social upheaval, and there was cholera, and all this. Uh, it was just not a great time to to yeah. be in India then, and. Um, 
so, so yeah, there also the, the differences between the film versions as well. Now, in the 1949 version, the film being discovered that her parents have died of cholera. In the 1993 version, for some bizarre reason, oh, I thought they were. Uh, they, I thought they were assimilated by the Borg. Beg your pardon. Oh wait, I'm confusing this with Star Trek. <laughs> Never mind. You're not well. <laughs> okay. In the 1993 version, it, uh, the movie begins again in India, but her parents are killed by an earthquake. Okay. Uh, and then back in, in the 2020 version, which opened today, uh, cholera is, is the cause of, of, of her parents' death. Okay? Uh-huh. But, but the, 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 the basic bones of it are this, that, that she starts off being orphaned in the beginning of the story. Yes. And then uh, there are a lot of British kids who are orphaned as a result of all the upheaval and sadness that's going on in India. And they all get bunged onto a ship and sent back to the to the UK to family members. Now this is quite curious, you know, because back back in the day, um, in the UK, if 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 a child's parents died in the war or in this case cholera in the colonies, whatever, mm-hmm. they would just find the closest relative and say, "Yeah, boom." You know, you have to raise this child. <laughs> you know, and they didn't even investigate. Here you are. Uh, they didn't even investigate who you were. Would you be? Would you be a half decent parent? You know, would you abuse this kid? Would you? No, no, no. You know, you're the closest relative. You're the uncle or the or the older cousin or whatever it is. He has this kid. Bye, <laughs> and uh, drop this kid on your doorstep. And this is this is what happened. So, so she gets shipped over in this um, uh, on a ship <laughs> to to the UK. That's the term. Yeah, and and delivered to well, well, actually, interestingly, uh, do you know that stuff that gets put in a ship is a cargo, and yes. stuff that gets put in a car is a shipment. Yeah. Okay. So um, thank you. So she gets delivered to her uncle oh. in the UK, who lives on this enormous uh, state and in this huge mansion yes. on the. On the edge of the moors, okay? So the moors, as you know from Wuthering Heights, dark, misty, scary, and mysterious. Which is basically my entire childhood imagination of what all of England must have looked like (laughs) based on this book. Well, you know what? You're not far off the mark. I was just chatting to a friend the other day about... About the about England's grey, rainy weather and stuff. So you're not that far off the mark. (laughs) It's just a bit more built up closer to London. Mm. So... Yeah, she arrives at this at this mansion. Okay, um, she is picked up uh, from the from the station because uh, she arrives by sh- ship. Uh, I think that also differs in the different film versions. She either gets picked up from from the from the from the port where the ship arrives, or mm-hmm. she she gets picked up from a railway station. Either way, she gets picked up by this stern housekeeper who tells her not to expect to have a bunch of fun and not to expect her uncle to greet her with open arms and not to expect him to be this loving, nice, nurturing person. Mm. And even she, the housekeeper, is not a, not a nice, nurturing person. Mm-hmm. Taken to this place with probably a hundred rooms. In fact, number a hundred rooms is mentioned. I remember that number very specifically. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, w- within her first day or so, she has this crying, wailing, shrieking, whatever it is in the night. 
and she mentioned this to, to mentions this to the housekeeper, and the housekeeper sternly tells her it's just the wind whistling through the building. But you know darn well it's not the wind whistling through the building. And I'm not going to give you any more story details in case you haven't seen the film or haven't read the book and, and intend to do so. Okay. Uh-huh. So and, and I'm not giving away anything really. That's just the that's the kind of bare bones. Right, I wonder how many people have actually not ever heard this story. I think I think very few. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think very few. So, um, so this is the situation she finds herself in. She is she is a, a spoilt, indulged brat, because growing up in the colonies in in India, um, with uh, parents who were in service of her, of Her Majesty, or His Majesty, whatever it was at the time. I'm not sure. Uh, maybe in 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 the forties it was His Majesty. Either way. The, no, yeah, no, no. Uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth II Elizabeth. didn't come in until the fifties, I believe. Yeah, so mm. so yeah, so it would have been, um, it would have been His Majesty. But uh, if you if you grew up as a child of of such parents, you were incredibly indulged. So she had an ayah, she had like her own sort of nanny. Mm-hmm. But I hear they have a land ayah, for those. They have a land for those. Ireland. Oh God! You know, you get worse every week. <laughs> but it was quick. I'll give you that much. And when she'd wake up in the morning, her ayah would dress her. At night, her ayah would would dress her in her pajamas. Her ayah would bathe her, feed her. And I mean, this kid's like twelve years old, for goodness' sakes. You know, she 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 mm. didn't and couldn't do anything for herself because if she was hungry, I'm hungry. Ayah would bring her food. You know, mm-hmm. and her parents were. Quite distant, quite involved in their own thing. Certainly, she didn't feel that they were particularly um, nurturing and, and caring parents. So she was, she was a, a, a brat. Okay. Um, so there's no love lost in this mansion. The the housekeeper is a stern woman, and one of the first things this woman says to her when they're on their way to to the mansion is that, oh, you're a plain-looking little thing, aren't you, mm-hmm. sort of thing. So it, 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 we're talking about a pretty cold environment here, right? I, I've set the story up enough, I think. But what I need to do, though, is to, is to compare the three different film versions. And so the first way I want to compare them is by looking at the cast of each of the movies, right? Now, the 1949 version has a truly great cast. It really is is one of those dream casts, I think, okay? And um, the, in in all the film versions of the story, the, the, the stern housekeeper is quite a pivotal character. In the 1949 version, she's played by Gladys Cooper, who was an enormous name back then in the UK on stage and on film. In the... Uh, in the 1993 version, she was played by Maggie Smith, Maggie Smith who yeah. had somewhat of a career of playing stern housekeepers or, mm-hmm. or you know, staff of mansions and manors, right? Wasn't she in a TV series or something in the UK back in those days? I, I don't... Oh, she's... Listen, she's been in so much stuff. Mm. But so often that sort of stiff, buttoned-down type character, you know, yeah. uh, which she plays here as, uh, in the 1993 version... And in the 2020 version, which opens on circuit today, it, it's Julie Walters. So it's, it's in, in each of those versions, 
we're talking about, I think I can use the word legendary, which is overused by journalists, but I think we can say you know, legendary actresses who had a strong career, bo career both on stage and on screen, okay? Uh, as far as the as far as the uncle is concerned, whom uh, she finally gets to meet, and is quite a stern, dark character, in the 1949 version, he was played. He was played. He was played, and I now <laughs> I now forget. It's actually slipped. It's com completely slipped my mind. He played the uncle in the 1949 version. I I it'll come to me. Okay. All right. uh, also, a, a name that. Um, a name that won't be remembered by by South Africans today. Um, uh, you know, it's it's just. Uh, um, and in fact, I'm sure that most South Africans today don't even remember who Gladys Cooper was. Uh, in the, in the 1993 version, he's played by John Lynch, who's also not particularly known. But in the 2020 version, which which opens on on circuit this morning, it's it's Colin Firth, who's. Who's well, of course, yes. Very well known, and I mean, he's one of my favorite actors. Okay, Colin Firth. I, I don't know what you think of him. Is he? I, I, I think he's one of these guys that that um, he doesn't have to even say a word. His performance is is etched on his face. He's uh, he's just one of my favorite. Yeah, actors. I'll give you that. I think yeah. he's he's pretty brilliant. Actually, he's not. Um, I'm trying to remember what the last thing I saw him in. But he he he's pretty well. well one damn of his brilliant, actually. one of his more recent movies, and it's not his latest, but one of his fairly recent movies, which I loved, is a movie called The Railway Man. Have you seen mm -hmm, it? Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to have to lend it to you because, um, and it's available. Oh, from you know what I liked him in the best was the secret, the Kingsman, the Secret Service. No man. Uh, yeah. oh, are you being serious? Yes. Not the King's Speech. The King's Speech was a. No, no, Kingsman, the Secret Service. But you haven't Service. seen the King's Speech? No, but Kingsman, the Secret Service. He was. I've never seen the King's Speech, but oh, Kingsman, the Secret dude. Service. He was brilliant. Dude, dude, dude. I, I, I've got to lend you two movies, the King's Speech. No, but you can't not say yeah. that he was brilliant in Kingsman, the Secret Service. No, no, I'm sorry. I, 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 Why? I just found that movie irritating. Oh no, that movie was great. I loved that well, movie. Well, different strokes. I get. I guess different strokes for different folks, but. Uh, uh, that movie bored me to tears, um, and I don't think it really used his his. I don't know how that could bore you, but okay. Potential anyway, carry as an on. actor, whatever. Okay. Oh, and I've just remembered, incidentally, it was Herbert Marshall who played the mm -hmm. the uncle in the 1949 version. But but uh, you know, again, we're sidetracking as usual. But um, in in the uh, but uh, Colin Firth, the King's Speech, and the Railway Man, which we're going to have to cover at some point. But we are running out of time, okay? So I can't even go into that stuff now. Um, in, uh, more things about the cast. In the 1949 version, the little girl's name is Mary, okay? Mary Lennox. In the book and throughout all the film versions. Mm -hmm. In the 1949 version, the little girl is played by Margaret O'Brien, one of my favorite actresses. She was a child actress who... Uh, is most memorable, I think, in a movie called Meet Me in St. Louis or Meet Me in St. Louis, whichever pronunciation you prefer, which was an MGM musical from 1944, released five years before this, before this version of Secret Garden. In Secret Garden, she looks considerably older, but you know, when you're a kid of a certain age, 
you know, even one year makes a difference in, in, you know, in your height and how you look, right? So she does look a fair bit older in 1949. Now, in, in, in 1949. In Meet Me in St. Louis, she plays this really fascinating character. She's this little girl who's obsessed with death, and she's convinced that her one little dolly is dying of a terminal mm. disease, which is a really interesting subplot to have in... A, in what you might imagine would be an upbeat musical. And, and that's what makes Meet Me in St. Louis also a very, very interesting movie. And it's something that we should cover at, at depth at, at another point. And I think I may have covered it in an earlier show of ours, like a couple of years ago. Yeah. So Margaret O'Brien playing, playing um, uh, Mary Lennox. And I think of the three movies, she, she was the most interesting of the, of the actresses. All right. uh, Dean Stockwell. Uh, plays, uh, well, a little character, a little boy, and I don't want to tell you who he plays in the movie because, because that comes later on in the story. But he was, I think, uh, he was one of these child stars. He was a very successful little child star, but he managed to parlay his career into an adult career, which is difficult for most child stars. But I think most famously, and contemporary audiences will probably remember him from, wasn't he in that TV series about the guy that always sees them, he sees a morning newspaper headline before, the day before uh, the event happens. What was that TV show called? Do you remember that show? And no, then he And then he travels into the future to prevent that thing from oh, happening. Uh, was it, you're talking about the newspaper thing. Yes. Sorry, I was half paying attention because yeah. I'm trying to find something. Uh, early edition is what it's called. Is that what it was? Is yeah. that what the TV series was yeah, called? My yeah, my grandmother loved that series. And it series. was Dean Stockwell, I think. And she yeah. used to say, yeah, he gets tomorrow's paper today. That's all she could tell me. Yeah, okay. So that was, yeah. So, But yeah, <laughs> he's, he's this little kid and he's great. And that. Um, the great Elsa Lancaster, who who I think uh, film historians will forever remember as the bride of Frankenstein, yeah. you know, with a, with a white lightning bolt in her hair. And she was later used by Disney in, in Mary Poppins and That Darn Cat, also one of my favorite actresses. Um, Norma Varden was, was in the 1949 version of Secret Garden. So, if, so out of the three movies, if I have to tell you, which had the best cast, it's definitely the 1949 version, okay? Mm -hmm. The 1993 version, well, there's Maggie Smith playing the, the standard Maggie Smith role. Apart from that, nothing significant in the cast. In the 2020 version, which opens this morning, as, as I said, it was Colin Firth playing the uncle and Julie Walters. Julie Walters, also a solid British actress, can't go wrong with her. But still, out of the three versions, out of the best cast, belong to the 1949 version. Um, overall, because I see we're starting to run short of time and I have so much that I want to cover, okay? Um, overall, okay, now here's an interesting thing. The 1993 version is, was directed by Agnieszka Holland, the Polish-born uh, movie director, who uh, best known certainly to me for, for a, a great little movie called Europa, Europa, which is a story of a, of a, of a Jewish boy who tries to pass off as, as being a non-Jew during the Second World War. Mm -hmm. uh, a, very, uh, a, a movie that's well worth seeing, Europa, Europa. But, um, so when I saw that Agnieszka Holland directed the 1993 version of Secret Garden, my hopes were high, okay? And I thought she'll bring her sort of art house sensibility to it. But it was released by Warner's, as, uh, at that stage they had a sub-brand called War Warner Family Entertainment. So it, it was kind of 
the story was kind of blanded down, I thought. Mm. You know, and it was... All those typical movies and things that you could pick up for your family on VHS in those days with those big puffy cases on them and, and, and very colorful... Um, yeah, I remember those yeah. cases, yeah. That's so annoying. But, but, you couldn't even the, fit them on the shelf properly. Yeah, but, but, the, but the story was, was sort of blanded down and softened a bit. And, for, you know, for me, it just didn't work. In this... In the version that releases today, I, I had a huge problem, huge problem with it, because they 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 played uh, it, it, it. Look, the the, the version that re that released today visually is breathtaking, okay? Because mm -hmm. they had the benefit of CGI, but I think they overused the CGI. So there's very little difference, for example, between the the garden, the, the 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 sort of manor gardens, and the actual secret garden. Now, without going into the story too much, there there needs to be a contrast between the manor and the secret garden, between the manor's gardens and the actual secret garden, which she gets to discover. The, the, you need to draw dramatic lines between the two, or a, a sort of a dramatic barrier. And this new version doesn't do that. Look, it, 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 a lot of the stuff that you see is happening in this girl's imagination, okay, which is where they get to use a lot of the CGI as well. But for me, the, the best version between the 1949-1993 and the 2020 version is, is the 1949 version, which is available on Amazon Prime, incidentally, because it draws these stark contrasts. So, for example, the movie's in black and white, mm -hmm. which makes the manor look forbidding and cold and dark and scary. But there comes a moment in the movie where they use Technicolor, okay? Yeah. So, there you have, bam, you know, you have the difference between the cold, stark darkness of the black and white and then suddenly Technicolor. And Technicolor in, 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 the, in the 40s, I must tell you, was was rich and oversaturated. It was really like over the top color. I love the Technicolor of the, of the 40s, but so you know, it it uses that those stark contrasts. It also has this, the contrast between the girl who arrives from India, who's this this spoilt, snooty little brat, and how she changes through through what happens in the story, okay? Mm. She, she kind of becomes almost like this Pollyanna figure that, that changes the world around her. Mm -hmm. So from having been the spoilt, indulged, horrible little child, she becomes an agent of change. And I, and I get quite goosebumpy when I think of this. And, and the 1949 version is the, is the film that most dramatically shows that contrast. The contrast between the little girl who was and the little girl who becomes. The contrast between the starkness and, and the bleakness of the manor and, and the secret garden or how the secret garden uh, becomes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, all of those things are really most dramatically brought out in, the, in this version. And I'm sorry to say that in the current version, you, you, they actually even sublimate that, that whole metaphor because for me, the secret garden is actually a metaphor for her uncle's heart, okay? It's, a, it's an area 
that since something tragic became in his life, it's an area like his heart that he has that has been cordoned off and that no one is allowed into. You know, right. that's mm-hmm. a very, and I'm sure you remember, remember that from the book, although as a seven-year-old, you probably don't pick up on that metaphor, but it's a very, very powerful metaphor, and it gets completely lost in the 2020 version. Mm. And, you know, I was speaking to my nephew in the States, who's also a huge movie buff, and I said to him, do yourself a favor, get onto Amazon Prime and watch the 1949 version. Yeah. Yeah. Or some other streaming service that maybe you don't have to pay for. Well, look, if you know, if I'm, I'm sure there are people who go into all sorts of other exciting I'm, I'm, streaming. I'm tired services. of these streaming services taking our money and then putting out things like cuties and 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 and. Oh. So I'm just I'm over it now. Yeah. And Netflix, uh, just as we wrap up and leave, just quickly, yeah. Netflix got spanked this week with an injunction, they were indictment rather, in the yeah. state of Texas. So uh, the great state of Texas is going to take Netflix to to task on this thing. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I frankly don't see. I, I don't see Netflix being found guilty of anything, but uh, uh, they may, for example, be ordered to take it down. You know, I, I'd, but you know I what what happens know. in the yeah. states if one state does something and then you know it will become a ripple effect. Other states will also look at it and say, yeah. "Well, Texas did it. Let's also look at it here in the state of Florida." Well, the so. thing is also with Netflix, they. they they can't take something down in Texas and not take it down in other states, can they? Right. I think no, it just they can goes, only nationwide. Yeah, yeah. Look, but you must also understand there is a there is a, a, a negative, unintended consequence of this, though, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's what comes of, from most legislation and stuff is is all of this is going to draw attention to the movie. So even even if Netflix ta- is forced to take it down, there will be this rush on the internet to find the movie and see it because it's banned. And mm-hmm. I must tell you something, you know, having grown up in, 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 in apartheid South Africa uh, where so many movies were banned and so many interesting movies were banned, let me tell you, if something was banned, I had to get my hands on it. And in those days, it was a lot more difficult because you get ha- had to get hold of contraband VHS copies that were like 12th copies that were almost unwatchably bad, mm-hmm. techni- technically speaking. But the moment something is banned, I'm thinking like, uh-uh, no, you can't tell me what I can see and what I can't see, and I'd want to get hold of it. So, you know, that is an unintended, unintended consequence of... of of blocking something from you. It's the same way as Facebook keeps on pulling YouTube videos down. YouTube and Facebook keep on pulling these videos down. And we immediately know that if YouTube and Facebook is banning a video, that it probably contains a whole bunch of truth, right? Mm-hmm. So it has an unintended consequence for them in that it, it draws our favorable attention towards that video. And we look around on the internet to see if we can find that video. <laughs> um, yeah, but cuties, you know what, I, I've just seen the trailer and I must say, I thought it was disgusting and I've, I've, I've long been appalled by the sexualization of young kids and, and I blame the parents. I remember years ago on, on 702 Talk Radio and uh, was it, uh, was it John, John Burks? Was he, was he the host at the time? Probably. Or Stan Katz or one of the, seven, the old 702 guys, yeah. And um, the, the subject was pedophilia and stuff like that. And I, I phoned in and I said, I said, hang on a moment. I said, here you have all these suburban women who are so shocked and horrified by pedophilia. And yet 
they dressed their nine-year-old kids, nine-year-old little girls, like tots, in tiny little hot pants that go way up the crotch, and they go to malls and stuff. Now, I, I, and I'm not one of those people that says, for example, that in the case of rape, that you have to blame a woman because she was dressed seductively. You, you know, I, I get that. And, and, you know, if you do something wrong, it's still your fault that you've done something wrong. But I still have an issue with women who sexualize young children, you know, and, and, they, and they make little sex symbols out of these kids. And, and that can also awaken in people who have some kind of predisposition to that kind of thinking. You know, they go to a mall and they see, you know, little kids dressed that way. And, uh, and uh, you know, I think that while it still doesn't excuse the behavior of people who, ab who abuse young kids, you also have to be, you know, as a parent, you have to be responsible and realize that your nine-year-old kid should not be dressing that way. Do you agree with me, Dustin? Yes, I do. Yeah? So, um, how did we even... Oh, we got into that because of... I don't know, but we got to go. It's 12 o'clock. Because of cuties being on Netflix. Oh, God, we have to go. Uh, there was so much that I still wanted to talk about these three movies, but I think I gave you the basic, the basic gist. If you really want to see the, 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 the best version of, of A Secret Garden, you want to go to 19, the 1949 version, yeah. which is available on... on on and you Amazon think second Prime. best is 1993? Um, yeah, yeah. It's it's not it's not great. It's been it's also been softened a lot. I think it's it's lost a lot of that dramatic power. But mm. yeah, and I'm sorry to say that the 2020 version, despite the fact that it uh, co-stars Julie Walters and Colin Firth, who are amongst my favorite actors, it it the the, the 2020 version j just loses that powerful metaphor. All right. So that's uh, the Wolfman at the movies again for this Friday. We'll see you next week. Thanks again.